You're listening to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. I'm your host, Jimmy Miller, Associate Editor for the magazine. On this sponsored episode, we talk with Pioneer President Kevin Geyser, who breaks down quarries, what goes into owning one, what kind of competitive advantages exist, and with the current state of the world being so expensive, how do you mitigate those costs? Here's Kevin now. For this podcast, for the sake of this podcast, we're going to be talking about quarries, right? And um, you know, I, I I wanted to start by asking you, you can sell material directly from the source to the landscaper, right? How does that work? Sure, uh, you know, there's there's basically a, an entire distribution network, right? So you can go through a retail store and you're going to buy product at the store level, <clears throat> but generally on on large projects, large jobs. Um, it would make sense because of basically the volume of that job to get volume-based pricing. And so a lot of times in order to accomplish that, you'd buy direct from the quarry or have that product shipped direct from the quarry. So in essence, you're eliminating the middleman. I can imagine how owning your own quarries would help landscapers. What type of materials do you see green industry clients consume most? Uh, you know, honestly, there's there's large tailwinds um, that are around xeriscaping at the moment. I mean, it doesn't take much to Google anything having to do with the drought in the southwest and realizing that drought conditions are uh, horrendous um, in the southwest. And so as a result, you know, in order to have a xeriscape type landscape, you know, you really need to have uh, rock. So decorative rock at the moment um, is a is a massive um, leader in that in that regard. Kevin, I, I think it's interesting. We did a podcast not terribly long ago about xeriscaping, and I find the process so interesting because it is like a growing trend. And I acknowledge that especially like I'm I'm from the Midwest, right? So, you know, drought incorporating drought tolerant plants and, um, you know, designing your landscape that way, that isn't necessarily something that we really think about all too much here. Um, but I can imagine on, on that side of the country, like it is, right? So, um, you know, have you, what, I guess, how have you seen, like when, when did, were you first aware of xeriscaping and how have you kind of seen that grow and evolve? Well, growing up in the Southwest in Arizona, you know, xeriscaping is just what we do, right? I mean, you know, it's really hard to have uh, a large grass lawn when you live in the desert, right? And when all of the water that is supposed to sustain these large cities is such a limited resource, right? And so generally, um, you know, I was introduced to xeriscaping. It's just a function of being an Arizonan uh, originally. You know, in Arizona, you generally have rock lawns are what they call them. So if you see a front yard um, in a new home community, that front lawn is is rock and it's boulders and it's hardscapes like pavers and those types of things. Um, and it's meant to, to basically prevent uh, groundwater runoff and allow percolation of that water. Um, and then at the same time, the plants that you do see in those landscapes also are generally um, green and, and have drip systems as opposed to sprinkler systems, which save a lot of water, you know, that type of stuff. So, so yeah, so that was the first time I was introduced to xeriscaping as a concept. And then um, as we got into this industry and realized that, you know, how important decorative rock is as a product that's a necessity for xeriscaping, um, you know, that, that really was a, a large tailwind for us as a business to continue growing our quarry footprint um, and our product offerings. Do you have a lot of apprehension out that way in the country? for people who want to install like these rock lawns or has that just kind of been commonplace now? Um, 
you know, where, where people feel pretty comfortable with it. It's commonplace. Uh, in places like Arizona, it's, it's been that way for over a decade. Um, in places like Colorado, where I'm located now, it's becoming the thing. So there's always been a lot of mixed media in um, in Colorado where, you know, you have grass and rock and, and stuff like that. Well, now there's even legislation starting to make its way into whether it's at the state level or municipality level in Colorado that's now preventing people from having lawns. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're it's saying it's it's wasteful when the majority of the water for all these drought stricken states comes from Colorado. So it's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and and I think it's just going to get greater um, as the next few years progress. I just saw Cal or I think Southern California passed um, some legislation that said that uh, you could only water like once a week, um, which I think is. Um, you know, that that's unfathomable here, but I, I totally get from, you know, the Western part of the country that that perspective. Um, Kevin, I, I want to shift the focus back into quarries. Right. And, um, you know, how you guys specifically kind of turn around and sell the materials. Right. Like, how do you get the word out there that you have the materials and what makes it easy for you to turn around and sell them? Um, you know, the first thing that, that we do um, is we work on specifications. So we work to actually get those products specified into um, plans for building and construction. Um, and, and so it kind of in that regard sells itself. Um, from there, uh, if you go to any of our retail locations, for instance, you'll see, you know, really beautiful displays um, with all the different colors because, you know, the geological um, diversity of a place like Arizona yields, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of colors of hardscapes. And so, you know, the uh, for us, it kind of markets itself because when people have an idea of what their house color looks like and what they want things to look like, um, you know, they show up, they take a look at what they have and, and, um, and buy it from there. Then on the opposite side, we have landscape architects, designers, design build folks, that are liking colors that meet a certain design aesthetic for whatever their project may be, whether it's a, a highway landform graphic or it's a large commercial project or a sports field or whatever the situation may be. And so they like a certain color and they call it out in the specification. And those are the two kind of primary modes to market, if you will. Mm, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Has that marketing been any more difficult now? I mean, I'm, I'm going to bring up the one thing that I think we talk about almost every interview I've done for Lawn and Landscape of the last year, inflation. Um, have you seen the prices rise with inflation? And does owning your own quarries help mitigate the supply chain issues for clients that most contractors are kind of experiencing? Sure. You know, inflationary pressures obviously uh, are taking their toll on just about every business and every aspect of the market currently. Um, however, um, the main effect for us from an inflationary perspective is fuel. I know we anticipate when we do our budgets on an, on an annual basis, certain inflationary pressure, uh, pressures, excuse me, for instance, um, you know, increases in wages, um, repair and maintenance costs, operating costs. And so a lot of that we've been able to head off at the past. Fuel is the hardest one, right? Being a commodity um, and with, you know, having global dynamics, it just changes so frequently. So we have to use things like fuel surcharges and whatnot to offset a lot of those costs. Um, so that's probably been the biggest contributing factor, but as it comes, as it, as a function of just quarrying itself, 
that's uh, you know a small part of the equation. Um, and what it, I, and overall, I mean, I think it's I think it equates to somewhere between thirty and forty percent of the actual cost of the product can be that cost of fuel. So depending on what we're making, it it can have an impact. Mm, yeah, and do you often just add that fuel surcharge in there to help mitigate that cost, or are there other ways that you are you know kind of operating through that for the most part um it's a pass-through so the the easiest way to mitigate that is using fuel surcharges um you know as a business we'd rather not do that if we can if we can avoid it um i think it's much better for um our customers um in the end consumer to not have to do that but um the alternative is is detrimental to the business as a whole and will ultimately yield less product to market if we're not careful. So, so yeah, fuel surcharges are the best way to go. Okay. That makes sense. And have you received any pushback from clients on that? Or is that usually, I I've heard a lot of people basically say that everybody has a good general understanding of this is how the way the world is right now. I, I, I think that summarizes it best to be honest. I mean, we see, we've seen very little pushback and we've seen most people seem to be very understanding um, about the whole process and, you know, cause it, I think if people were feeling they're being taken advantage of myself included, I mean, we all, if we felt that way, we're going to push back. But I think if we've done it in a way we have, which is trying to be responsible and having some level of transparency, um, that helps. And so, yeah, most people have accepted it. That that's, that's just the way it is at, at the current time. And hopefully it won't be that way you know, for very long. And, and as it's not, we'll be able to adjust the opposite direction as well. Absolutely. Um, I'll bring this back to, you know, the quarries. Um, how do you even begin managing one? Like what goes into ensuring it's a well-run element of your business? Well, first and foremost, it's safety. Um, you know, safety is tantamount to running, um, a, a, uh, an organized and efficient operation. Um, we take safety very seriously, and, and, and frankly, most quarry operations do, but you have different state and federal agencies that oversee part of what you do on the quarry side. So for that reason alone, you have a whole lot of safety uh, focus and, and checklists and things that we have to follow. But then internally, we have a lot of our own safety regulations that we focus on as well. Um, and... Um, and so safety first, a safe organization is an efficient organization and an efficient organization is a profitable organization. Like what are, what are some of the common safety concerns that you run into while managing a quarry? Uh, you know, you, uh, you, first off, there's a lot of big equipment rolling around there, right? You've got large yellow iron loaders or front end loaders. You've got haul trucks. You have a lot of traffic going in and out. So traffic patterns is a big deal. You want to make sure that, that you know, people aren't getting in the way of something and hurting themselves. Um, so that, that's a big one. Um, second thing is, you know, there's a lot of, of um, gear. There's kit that your safety folks should be, uh, or your people should be wearing in that, in that pit. And your safety folks should be making sure people are having. So that's your, um, that's your steel toe boots, your eye protection, hard hats, high vis gear. Um, you know, those, those types of things are just essential to making sure that people see you, um, you know, the tires on some of the equipment in these quarries are, you know, taller, sometimes two times taller than a, than a human being. So it's really important to be visible. Absolutely. Kevin, I have just one last question for you. And it's kind of a, a broader question about, you know, your expertise and, 
I guess anybody who's looking to manage their own quarries, what are some of the things that you think, you know, like what, what types of advice might you offer? Uh, you know, first thing first, you know, you, you have to understand the reserves that are there. And there's a lot that goes into that process. You know, it's not just as easy as you find a piece of land and then start mining it. Um, you need to know what's in that land. Um, you need to know who has the rights to that land from a mineral rights perspective. You need to um, have, you need to know what's required from a permitting perspective to, to operate that land. It, there's a very high barrier to entry to get into to a quarry. It's not, uh, it's not an easy thing. It takes a, certainly takes a, a different level of expertise. So I would recommend having a team of, of solid operators in order to make that work. Makes total sense to me. Awesome, Kevin. Hey, is there anything that, you know, specifically regarding quarries or even about Pioneer that I didn't ask about that you think I should know for this podcast? No, I think you covered it. I mean, I, I think the big thing is just understanding that, you know, that supply chain and understanding how it flows through the distribution is is crucial. But I think truly from a quarry perspective, understanding the tailwinds that are in the industry, things like xeriscaping and things like um, drought conditions are, are all reasons why this industry should be growing and will continue to grow. And, and um, for our part, Pioneer uh, Landscape Centers is happy to be a part. Thanks for listening to the Lana Landscape Radio Network. For more information on Pioneer, head to www.pioneerco.com. This was Jimmy Miller signing off. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.